Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 55. My name is Arvin. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. You're very chipper, given the circumstances of t- in which we are recording this podcast. Yeah, pretty much because I didn't watch the game. Yeah, you're smart. I was... You have a real talent <laughs> for avoiding these. Uh, yeah, you know, the only games I've been missing have been like Saturday night games where I had some sort of social engagement. And it has been a mercy uh, because I've missed some really bad ones. And by every account, last night was abysmal. Yeah, um, it was. Um, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk pretty much exclusively just about our thoughts on the Leafs and where they're going and how we feel about them uh, in this podcast. It'll be somewhat unstructured. But the first thing that we do want to mention um, is something that happened earlier in the week. It happened pretty much just after we recorded our last podcast, and that's the um, slur incident with Morgan Riley uh, on on the ice in uh, a Leafs game. So, uh, Fulman, do you want to kind of just take it away and set the table and give us some thoughts? Yeah, so in the game against the Tampa Bay Lightning, a microphone appeared to pick up a homophobic slur, and because Morgan Riley was on the ice at the time uh, arguing with the ref, Uh, Some people attribute it to him. Uh, They believe that he had been shouting it at the player. Uh, At the ref. caused, uh, Yeah, at the ref. Sorry. Uh, This caused a bit of a furor, uh, as well it should. You know, I think we we have to be realistic that homophobic language does still occur a lot in hockey. Um, The word that was allegedly said, uh, which I'm not going to repeat here for obvious reasons, Um, You know, I was called that a bunch playing hockey growing up. I heard that a lot on the ice. And it's really unfortunate that that's still considered part of the kind of standard arsenal of trash talk. Is that you can just, you know, shout homophobic slurs at somebody when you're mad about something. Now that said, um, the league looked into this. Uh, They spoke to Riley. They spoke to the referee. They listened to audio of the incident. And they affirmed that Morgan Riley didn't say it. And that is encouraging. Um, They did not affirm that it wasn't said by somebody. Or that the word, you know, didn't get picked up on the mic. They just don't know who it was, but they know it wasn't him. Um, There was a bit of a strange 12 hours where there was a whole Leafs Twitter debate where uh, Flinter, who's uh, a Leafs fan on Twitter broke down the audio and he believed that somebody was saying rag it as in like rag the puck. And then there was a whole fascinating debate on Twitter where a bunch of people said, I've never heard of rag the puck. And they kind of assumed that Leafs fans were making up that phrase, which was really weird because I've definitely heard that expression a bunch. I'm not saying that that's what I think the microphones picked up though. Um, It all got kind of a bit uh, all over the place, but I will say I am really encouraged by how the Leafs chose to handle it. Cal Dubas and Morgan Riley uh, stepped up to the microphones in the afternoon. They said, you know, we feel very strongly that this is not something that should be said. We don't want the focus to be on Morgan Riley feeling victimized or anything like that. He doesn't, um, just because it was assumed that he said it. We want to make a culture in hockey, in our rink, where that sort of thing is not acceptable to say. It is unfortunate that that still is a thing that has not really been eradicated yet, and this has been an issue in the past. If you think of uh, Andrew Shaw was 
suspended for a game a couple years back because he used that slur. But it is encouraging that at least the Leafs are saying the right things and doing the right things. And I will say on kind of a personal note, Morgan Riley is generally a likable guy, and he's been pretty good on uh, being very pro-inclusivity uh, for LGBT people. Uh, he's actually indicated that he wants to participate in the Toronto Pride Parade, and he's participated in the Vancouver Parade in the past. So, you know, not having that faith kind of demolished by him resorting to that store on the ice, that's, uh, that's nice that we're still able to have that confidence in him. So just wanted to kind of comment on that because this is a thing that does happen in our game. And it's still daunting that it does happen and it's as common as it does and that it makes people feel as unwelcome as it does. But at least on the good side of the ledger, I liked how the Leafs handled this one and how Morgan Riley handled this one. So that's kind of that whole affair. Yeah, uh, I think I, I largely agree with that. I, I would have liked the NHL to, I guess, look into more explicitly whether the slur was said at all. Mm-hmm. It's not clear that they did. And it's not. It's also not difficult to imagine that they kind of don't want to un- uncover an answer that they don't like. Yes, there's a real possibility there that you know, they heard it said, and once they cleared Morgan Riley, because everyone saw it um, on the footage and attributed it to Morgan Riley because he was on camera, um, once it was clear that it wasn't him, you do kind of get the impression that the NHL maybe did not want to do anything it didn't have to do and find out that it was some other player. So I don't know that the NHL covered itself in glory here. So, yeah, that is disconcerting. Uh, yeah. yeah. At, at the same time, I mean, I, I do agree with you. I think the approach by Dubis and the Leafs was, was appropriate. And I, I do like that they emphasized that Riley and the Leafs themselves are not victims in this issue. And I think that's something that gets yeah. lost sometimes um, or doesn't get emphasized enough. And I'm glad they did. Yeah, I, I'm glad that uh, the team stepped up to the plate in that. And, you know, a lot of people were kind of aggrieved. And unfortunately, when this sort of thing happens, it sometimes gets wrapped up in a lot of the anti-Toronto bias. Like, the Leafs are loathed everywhere, and a lot of people like to dunk on their fans. And within the bounds of, you know, legitimate sports rivalry and stuff, that's par for the course. That's how it is. Um, I, I would like the stuff that involves, like, serious issues like homophobic slurs or homophobia in general, that probably ought to be above the realm or beyond the realm of just, you know, trash talking and, so, and you know, mocking Leaf fans and stuff like that. Like, that's something that everyone should take seriously and say, did this happen or not? Let's uh, look into it. What kind of culture is being bred in this game? And I'd like to think that it's sort of something that can rally people around. There are some people who are still not um, apparently convinced that Riley didn't say it, but I, I mean, I don't know what more you can do. He says he didn't say it. The person, the referee says he didn't say it. The NHL looked at the audio and affirmed he didn't say it, you know. <laughs> at a certain point, it's just you want to believe the worst, so. 
yeah, it was unfortunate. It was a really um, dispiriting thing uh, to have to encounter again. And again, I'm not sure the NHL really wanted to know more than it found out. But I think that at least Kyle Dubas did handle it well. So that was encouraging. Yeah. Um, okay, so onwards to, I guess, more hockey, more directly hockey-related topics, and how the Leafs have done in the past week. Unfortunately, not oh, well. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, okay, so the Leafs have had an unfortunate habit of getting scored on like a billion times a night. Yeah, um, not, good for your, not good for your hockey team, not the plan. Yeah, call me old-fashioned, but if you want to win games... Even if your offense is really, really impressive, you should try not to get scored on like six times. Well, and I mean, the, the Leafs have done that. They've only got scored on 5.75 times per game on average in the last uh, <laughs> last four games. So, so there. Yeah, take so that. that's actually the, the key to success. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. This has honestly really been worrisome. And we try to be big picture. We try not to be overreactive. Um in our commentary. And so we try to always keep our eyes on how is this team shaping in the long run. And a lot of the time I feel like we're kind of saying they're not the best, but they're not awful. They're pretty good. They are what we thought they were. I have to say this week has been like really, really bad in a lot of respects. Um, The most you can say is that the shot chair control has been there the last couple of games. Like, they lost it heavily in the Lightning game. But even then, these were all games where they were down pretty considerably at some point. And it's hard not to wonder if um, score effects played more of a role than is even being adjusted for there. And also, the last three games were all against non-playoff teams. Last night's game was against the Senators, who are an AHL team. Like, if you look at that lineup, they don't have players who are good, you know. And it's very glaring that the performance has been this bad. Um, Now, you can fault goaltending for some of it. Freddie had probably the worst week I've ever seen him have, Um, even including the famous October Freddie that we had for the first couple seasons he was here. It's okay. It happens. But the team going down by, like, you know, three, four goals in the early going, and then trying to roar back with a ton of of scoring against these kind of guppy bottom feeder teams, that doesn't bode well. That doesn't make me feel good about our chances against Boston. And for the longest time, I've been saying I still think the Leafs should be narrowly favored in a series against Boston, even without home ice. I'm increasingly not sure I believe that, at least not with this roster, um, which is missing... Jake Gardner and Travis Dermott. So, with this roster, I'll re- with this roster, we are not very good at all. I mean, I like yeah. this current roster has, in my opinion, two above-average NHL defenders, and then the, yeah. re- the remaining four are sixth defensemen. Yeah, that's basically how it feels, um, right? And they're yikes. just so limited. And I mean, look. It, we were probably going to rant on this at some point or another. If you think Jake Gardner is not useful to this team, you're a fucking moron. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, you just are, and I do not care about your opinion on hockey, if you think that. If you legitimately think that Jake Gardner makes this team worse. If you have watched these last games, I think that Jake Gardner is not a useful player. Yeah, I, I know he's frustrating, but like, come on. You know, look at how this team is struggling now. Look how, how it's, you know, getting killed in transition. Look at the issues they're having where they look lost against bad, bad teams. And whatever you say about Jake, and sometimes he's going to gift wrap the puck and give it away, I know, but he moves the, the needle in the right direction. He moves play in the right direction. And and so does Travis really Dermott. We're, we're missing both yep. of them, right? So, yeah, the, yeah. the, the defense is you know, as bad as it's going to get. And, and the worry is it's not going to get any better because, you know, Gardner is week to week with this nebulous back injury. That's never really a good sign. No, it's been pretty worrisome. I'm not going to lie. Uh, and, you know, looking beyond this season, it's worrisome next year because he's almost certainly gone from the Leafs. But, uh, yeah, you've certainly noticed his absence, <laughs> you know. Um and the thing that kind of annoys me is that if he were in these games, and even if he were, like, net neutral or something like that, I just know that some of these losses would be pinned on him. Like, any goal where he was on the ice, the chatter would be like, oh, you see, you can't win with porous defensive de- defensemen like Jake Gardner. So, like, to establish his worth in the eyes of some people, it, it almost his only option would be not to play and then look how bad they are. And, you know, unfortunately now that's what we're seeing is the team is really struggling. They don't look like a contender at all anymore. And I, for the longest time, thought that they were. Uh, There was a period of a couple months uh, as William Nylander rounded into form where I really thought this team could be the second best team in the NHL. Right now, it doesn't even feel close. And this has been one week. This is hopefully kind of a nadir, and they can be better than this. But they really feel a long way short of what they're supposed to be right now. It's been one week, but it hasn't been one week, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. we've been... And this is why the injuries are certainly a reason why we are not performing as well as we, we could right now. But even before the injuries, really since the start of February, the Leafs have not really controlled play at 5v5. And... As you alluded to, we, we've often said that, hey, you know what? The Leafs are who they are. And uh, for the first, you know, three months of the year, we're saying this is the Leafs. You know, they're good offensively. They're bad defensively. They have good goaltending, good shooting, and good special teams. And that might be enough to take them pretty far. But it makes them a, a good but flawed team. And mm-hmm. in December... You know, as December went, uh, went along and Nylander came back and started playing better, and the rest of the team also started playing better, like unrelated to Nylander coming back, I think both of us were kind of getting more optimistic. Like, hey, okay, if this is a 53, 54% shots team or expected goals team, which they were over, you know, those two months, they were uh, a top 10-ish team in the league, like very comfortably top 10 uh, in the league and even higher in terms of like five, the 5 v 5 play uh, 5v5 metrics that we care about, like expected goals, Corsi, whatever. Well, if they if they can do that, then suddenly they're much more, much scarier as a team because now they're no longer just killing you on their ability to outshoot and outgoaltend and outspecial teams you, but now they're actually just getting more chances than you as well. And that's that's a really really tough lineup to beat, right? If it, if a team can 
reasonably expect to outshoot you, outgoaltend you, beat you on special teams, and also get more even strength of chances than you, even if it's only by you know a decent amount. That's that's a nightmare team to face. Mm-hmm. But since February, you know what we we haven't been doing that. We haven't been carrying play. We've been going back to the old way where the Leafs won, where they we trade chances, come out even, roughly, uh, and, and in that time actually slightly below even, and you know hope that it works out in our favor. And it it hasn't worked out in our favor to the degree that we've hoped. It, it's we've still been getting wins largely to due to Anderson's brilliance. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it absolutely worries me in terms of can the Leafs can, can, contend. I, I, if you ask me this question mid-January, I would say yes. If you ask me this question early February, I'd say uh, yes, assuming this, you know, s- this slide that we've seen starting February isn't real. If you ask me now, I'm saying no. I, I don't think this team is a contender right now. I, I think they are what, you know, what we thought they were. They're a good team. They're an above-average mm-hmm. team. I think they're probably... In, the, in that five to eight range. And if you want to classify that as a, as a contender, you know, they probably have a four to three to four to maybe 5% shot at a, at a cup. So if you want to classify that as a contender, you can. Um, mm-hmm. they, they, I think they can beat anyone in a series, but they're not necessarily the favorites to do so. And their, their path makes it really unlikely that they're going to get an easy ride. This team just isn't likely to win a cup or go particularly far this, this, this spring. I, I, there's too many flaws, right? And yeah, they're too glaring, and they are too easily exploited. It seems like, and you know, I, I don't want to be overreactive, but it's like, but I, I don't think we're being overreactive here. I, yeah. I think we're not. I, I, the last week, I don't really care about. Whatever, Anderson yeah. had a shitty week. That happens. Mm-hmm. You know, what's more concerning is that for one and a half months now, the Leafs have been a kind of crappy team mostly with their full lineup, or at least in large part with their full lineup. Yeah. Right? And, and you, you always want to be careful about not reading too much into like the order of results because narratives really arise when we look at how things change over time. And, you know, it's not always necessarily that simple as, you know, what aren't the narrative that we construct makes it out to be. And I, I wrote a piece on this last year about like basically narratives and random number generators that... You know, if you mm-hmm. simulated uh, a team with, like, a constant level of ability, you would still get trends, right? Even if you knew for a fact that it was the team's ability was not changing. And you could make narratives out of those trends, even if they're not necessarily real. And, and the same thing can happen here. So without trying to narrativize too much about why this has occurred, the fact of the matter is, if we look at the Leafs in aggregate in their full, with their full lineup, the results are that of a good but not amazing team. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and I think that that's a fair reflection of who they are. A good but not amazing team. And good but not amazing is fine, but it's not going to get us... It's not likely to get us past Boston and Tampa Bay. Yeah. It, it, that's kind of what it boils down to. And, you know, adding John Tavares, I think we all expected taking this team as it was last year, swapping out Bozak and JVR, adding John Tavares, getting some more marginal upgrades by, you know, the removal of Leo Komarov, the emergence of Andreas Janssen. It's weird because a lot of the things that we thought would go well have gone well. John Tavares has been as good as advertised or better. Um, 
But I think it's become painfully apparent that the Leafs just do not have a lot of players, and you were, you were saying this last night, who are good without the puck. You know, it's just really noticeable at, at this point that a lot of the forwards struggle in their own zone. And I don't know how much of that is systemic, but I have to think that Mike Babcock isn't looking at the Leafs' performance defensively and thinking, yes, this is what I desire. This is going as well as I possibly could dream. Even if you think that he's dictating the stretch pass, which I think, you know, is deliberate to a large extent, but the work in terms of the D-zone coverage, I don't know what's going on there. You know, I, I don't know that the Leafs are able to respond to an aggressive forechecking team. And that's what scares me about Boston. All this stuff about heavy hockey. And if we do lose to Boston, that's going to be the narrative. There's going to be all sorts of stuff about how the Leafs just weren't tough enough and see Mr. Skill and all his skill um, got shown up by a team that knew how to play heavy hockey. Uh, sort of, but it's more than anything. It's just the pressure that Boston is able to put on you by being aggressive. That shouldn't stifle us to the degree that it looks like it can. You know what I mean? It looks like that's something that this team just does not have a real answer for, except hope we get some rush chances and count on our finishing talent to put them in. And we still have the talent to do that. It's not out of the question that we could. And as you say, we can win a series against anybody. But the way the team has been trending, I have to agree. I don't favor us to win a series against either Boston or Tampa at all. Um, yeah, so to put some numbers on this, if we if we look back to December 6th, so we're not going to selectively you know, choose endpoints here to um, only include the, the least tailspin. So since they've got Neil Ender back, which I'm taking as a benchmark for, our, our full team is back, regard, modulo some injuries here and there, right? But by and large, our full team is back. Since that point, the Leafs are ninth in the league in, in Corsi percentage, 52.35%. That's score adjusted as well. well. And that's, you know, that's healthy. That's, that's, that's solid, right? Ninth in a 31-team league, you're comfortably above average. Funnily enough, Tampa's 10th. And, and Boston is 7th. Yeah. Now, Boston has had ridicu- a ridiculous series of injury crises. Um, so I think that's more impressive than the, the number that's on. Tampa has you know, the league's best power play by a country mile and as much or more finishing talent than Toronto, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, you, you could say that, you know, if you, if you were down on the Leafs, you should also be down on Tampa. And I, I guess that's that's fair to a degree, but their special teams advantage is, is notable, even over a good special teams group like Toronto. So anyways, 52.35, ninth in the league, that, that's fine. Um, if we look at unblocked shots or... Uh, shots for it gets a, it gets worse. We're they're closer to fifty percent, but let's just take that at face value. You know we're a fifty two percent team. We're we're ninth or so in the league in that. It's just I'm I'm not trying to be one of those people who's like oh you know Corsi is king. If you're not top five in Corsi, then you're not a real team. It, it's mm-hmm. not right. It, it, Montreal is second in this time span. They're not going to make the playoffs in all likelihood. But, yeah, at least we have that to laugh Yeah, at. yeah. <laughs> small, small choice. But, you know, this sort of stuff does matter. We're, we're going to be facing... We're going to be facing Boston. Boston is better at this stuff than we are. They've struggled with injuries to, as I said, to an abs- absolutely absurd degree this year. And they've kept on chugging. They, it seems like they haven't lost in forever. 
I mean, they they have lost recently, but they have that 19 game point streak, which is which is absurd. It, it's very easy to feel pessimistic about the Leafs' results, and I guess taking a step back, you know, we, we're being negative in this podcast. We both agree, yes, we still have a shot against Boston, right? We mm-hmm. both agree, yes, we have a shot against Tampa Bay if we get that far. We're not doomed. We're not a bad team. We are still a good team, right? But mm-hmm. the issue is, we were hoping for more than good, and I think those those months, those two months. Post Nylander, so December, January, really, we were operating at like 55% in all these play, met- play driving metrics, uh, these team wide metrics. And that was just the, the catalyst for a lot of, at least for me, a lot of hope and expectation of, okay, this is, this is the team. This is what we expected mm-hmm. to see, or this is what we hoped to, to see. And this is where, you know, the least kind of show why people thought they could be favorites or thought they could be real contenders. And then it's fallen by the wayside in a really annoying way, right? Because it's still the same defensive issues. The, the Leafs are still just awful defensively. They're, they're, they can generate offense with the best of them, right? Yeah. And that still isn't really a problem. Even, even in the slide, the Leafs have been generating shots and chances just fine. But you're giving up huge, huge, huge numbers to crappy teams like Chicago, like Philly, like Ottawa. Yeah, and like you can't let the Senators hang fucking six goals on you when they don't have any players left. Like, come on, man. <laughs> I know that that's it's not fair to just point to one result, but it's just so frustrating uh, to watch this kind of performance from a team that should be uh, a genuine contender. And by the way, this is just something that I was noticing. There's a lot of talk about like the best Leafs team in our lifetime. Uh which we hear over and over, maybe they're supposed to be. Um, I don't think they are, though. The, you know, the Leafs had a team in 2002 that was finished third in the NHL. Um, these Leafs are probably not going to do that. Um, I, and, you know, I can't compare advanced statistics with 2002, but this team really just does not feel like it's getting to its potential. And I've kind of been slow to say that but i do think that it, it, it is a, a you know i'm just really disappointed frankly um maybe i'm too down in the uh in the micro and the macro but as you say this has been a recurring issue and it's the issues that we've been pointing to all along that are going to sink them um should that come to that you, you know they can be better than this they are better than this but if you're thinking this is the team that's going to end the drought I don't really see it. Like, there has to be a change coming, and I don't think that there's a major personnel addition in the pipeline that's it's going to make everything feel better unless you expect Rasmus Sandin to, to step up next year and suddenly be a top-four defenseman, which would be really, really aggressive. I don't, I don't know, man. Yeah, no, it's... <laughs> it's also demoralizing because there's a real chance we're worse next year without Gardner, right? Like, Gardner's important. Yeah. So what happens there? Like... It, the, the other, the other know, thing is, I don't... sorry, I, I just want to mention a couple things. Um, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned that yeah, we don't have any good defensive players, and, and that, that includes you know, forwards and defense. Like, e- even at our best, you, we, no, we have no important players who are very good defensively, I don't think. Like, Jake Gardner might be our best defensive player, like in terms of shot suppression. And that, that's... that's I, I love Jake Garner. He, he's a very good player. He's not 
someone who I, who you want to be your best defensive player on a contending team, right? Austin Matthews is still kind of crappy defensively. John Tavares is an amazing player. He's not very good defensively. And that's fine. We, they, I think a lot of this comes down to the fact that the Leafs have a lot of talent, but you know, I keep coming back to what Alan said on this podcast in like September or in, October, or in August. The Leafs leaned into what they were. Mm-hmm. We are the same Leafs as last year, but more so. And uh, again, the, I'm, I guess I'm repeating myself, but we knew that or we thought that in, in October or November. And we were hoping that with the full lineup, they would be something more. And it, it just appears that they are not. Right. And I think at this point, we have to kind of just acknowledge that, okay, they're, they're not. This is, this is who we are. We're good but flawed. How far can we go? Yeah. You know, come playoff time, it's all up in the air. It's all to play for. And I would still rather be going in with a goaltender that I generally trust in Freddie Anderson and with an offensive lineup that I know can produce. You know, that can get you somewhere. That's a puncher's chance against anybody. So, you know, I'm not despairing in that immediate sense but I have to say I think I expected probably more out of this team in terms of just improvement defensively in his own players I think Mitch Marner has actually taken a step defensively yeah I think he, he's and, he's pretty decent or pretty maybe even good defensively yeah on the penalty kill he's a, a ton of fun he's a very effective and aggressive penalty killer and that's been encouraging to see but those agonizing shifts where the other team plays ring around the rosy and our guys just basically try to defend the house as best they can, where we just don't seem to recover the puck. You know, Nikita Zaitsev purportedly stops the cycle. And, you know, I, I have to admit, I have a hard time with Nikita Zaitsev. I, I try my best to not blind myself to his virtues such as they are. But he frustrates me so much in terms of his decision-making that I'm really, like, I'm almost approaching the, like, just unload him however you can thing, which is never a good perspective to kind of get on a player, especially when we've just seen how thin this team is defensively. But Do they really get worse if they replace Zaitsev with someone else? I, I, I don't know. I, I, Zaitsev is so bad. He's playing he, awful. Yeah. His, he craters <laughs> the numbers of everyone he is with. It's bananas like you look at uh things like rapm and isolated threat he looks awful by those metrics awful what what, what's what's there to salvage right like i'm i'm on the kind of get rid of him however you can this offseason you can't keep that contract it's a bad 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 contract yeah i jeez (laughs) I don't know. I keep trying to drag myself mentally out of this kind of funk that's been feeling because it's depressing to watch, you know, sit down to watch the Leafs and to watch them spot the other team a three-goal lead. I wonder about the do they just not start on time thing that people talk about a lot where the Leafs just seemingly don't play very well for the first period and then they kind of roar back. Um, that may just be variation. I don't know. There was a period where the Leafs this was a year or two back, where the Leafs just blew leads all the time. And I think Katja showed fairly convincingly that it was mostly just they were a bad defensive team. And bad defensive teams are prone to both getting the lead and giving it away. 
but it, it's been very glaring how they just seem to be non-competitive for long stretches, you know? I know that no team is perfect. I know, you know, Alan was uh, was joking about, you know, I complained at one point the Leafs seem to try to play as badly as they can while still winning. And Alan said, you know, I've said the same thing about the Bolts. So, you know, every team has off nights, every team has off periods, but the Leafs seem to have tons of those. And even they have periods where they outscore the opposition. But they don't feel like they're carrying play lately. Uh, Nylander and Matthews being reunited is a positive development. Yeah, I don't... thank the fucking Lord that that finally happened. Like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we have, a, we have yeah. a superstar center and our best play-driving winger. Turned and yeah. played together with great result, great success for two years. Let's put them together. Oh wow, what a stroke of genius! <laughs> yeah, I was patient with Mike Babcock with that one because I was like, he's trying to get Willie going. The results have been pretty good with Kadri. Now Kadri is injured. Okay, he's got to be our third line center. But yeah, that has to be over now. Like leave Nylander with Matthews because Matthews needs him. I want to be, you know, this will sound kind of weird, and so I want to hedge it. Matthews is going to score more goals than William Nylander, no matter what happens. Like, Matthews is going to score goals. He does that. But I honestly think that Nylander can operate with a lot of players, and as long as they're better than, like, Connor Brown and Patrick Marlowe, he's pretty effective. I feel like Matthews really, really needs a playmaker. Um, and you feel the absence of that on his wing, even when it's someone as good as Kasperi Kapanen. And we've talked a lot about Kapanen's step forward this year and how pleased we've been with him. Right. But he doesn't um, just do the things that William Elander can do for you that Matthews needs in terms of setting up the plays. And I will say, Elander has also been almost grittier in terms of battles than I think has ever been credited. And Mike Babcock has actually been saying this lately. You know, they say, why did you decide now was the time to put him back with Matthews? And he said, well, Willie's out there winning battles. And as much as I would have done this sooner, uh, Willie is out there winning battles. And so it is encouraging to me to see that. And so I think that that line should be pretty strong going forward. But I look at the team as a whole and I find myself thinking, where is this really going? You know, you know, where is the stopper on the cycle coming from or whatever, you know? Where are we going to stop getting run for like 20 minutes at a time? And I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know really why it hasn't been coming up to now. I don't know why we still seem so hopeless in this respect. I think... We're still, despite what some people on Twitter would tell you, I think we're still a long ways short of Mike Babcock being dismissed. But I think at some point he has to be able to teach this team to be better or he's going to wear it to some extent. Uh, and I don't mean that he would be fired this summer or anything. But if this season ends as badly as we fear that it could in terms of really being embarrassed by Boston, then I think next year he starts to feel the heat. Um, a little bit in terms of he has to start fixing things um, as opposed to just what we've done, which is apparently lean in. I, I still find myself thinking he can't be happy with the defensive work this team does. Like He's got to be looking at this sometimes and wanting to pull his hair out, but I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just don't know. I want to add one thing. So 
regarding the yeah. Nylander and Matthews being reunited. Funnily enough, uh, the Matthews Janssen Kapanen line has like a ridiculously good set of numbers together. I think they're almost at like fifty six or fifty seven percent Corsi in like one hundred and ninety minutes, which um, mm. they had like a really really rough stretch recently, and then yeah. uh, they actually had a good three games I think on the Western road trip. Um, but I, in a small sample, I'm kind of willing to put less stock in those numbers to some degree and just be like, look, we know what works. We have a big sample of what works with Nylander and, and, and Matthews. Put them together for, you know, don't touch them for the next six years. Right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and those two together, the, these past three games, have been about the only Leafs who I'm satisfied with in terms of their all-round play as well. They've been the only line to, to consistently beat up the opposition in the last week as well, which I'm, you know, pleased with and I think is is a very good sign going forward. Um, but yeah, re- regarding your point on Babcock, you know, the, I, I guess we have to get into this because this is, you know, one of the most talked about things regarding the Leafs. How much blame does he bear? I, I, I don't know the answer to that. I, I, yeah, I, neither it, of us it, are like hard, systems know? experts, I don't think. Um and it's difficult to understand, like, okay, well, how much of the Leafs, you know, three-year-long defensive struggles are because we're asking Morgan Riley to be our number one defenseman. Morgan Riley's terrible defensively. We're asking Austin Matthews to be, you know, our number one or number one B center. He's terrible defensively. Like, how much is due to the fact that our star players are just not very good at defense? How much is due to the mm-hmm. fact that Mike Babcock might not be doing everything right to get the most defense out of this group i i don't know right i I think there's arguments either way you look at the the talent here it's certainly not one that screams out good at defense right no one here really has a history of being a defensive stopper by any means but you Mm -hmm. look at for example what barry trotz has done in long island that's almost the same team as last year they're so much better defensively now granted they were going from maybe the worst coach in the league to a top five coach, right? There's yeah, a, and, and, the, and very, very bad defensive results from a team that was kind of checked out to a, a team that has, through a combination of great goaltending and genuine improvement, really believes in itself and its system. So I think that there's, you know, I hate to rely on terms like buy-in, but like he's convinced that team that they can win playing defense, whereas I don't think that... Um, last year, they really believed anything by the end of it, other than they were going to be in the draft lottery. Yeah. So, <laughs> so like, to what extent does Babcock bear, bear the brunt for not being able to coach these guys up to some degree, right? Uh, and there's there's one thing notable about the Islanders, right, is that they, they play low-event hockey in general, right? Like, they are very, very... Um, they're, they're the opposite of the Leafs, right? The Leafs play high-event... The, so lots of shots both for and against. The Islanders play low event, so very few shots for and against. And there might be some sort of just kind of natural trade-off there, right? So people have studied this and they found that kind of at the team level, shots for and shots against are somewhat unrelated, but that doesn't mean they're completely independent by any means. And it, it might be that Babcock is saying, look, we have great shooters, we have a great goaltender. If we're winning on the percentages the best way for us to kind of have that manifest in the score is to make it high event, right? Mm-hmm. And conversely, Trotz might be saying, we have, you know, we have goaltenders who are playing well, but realistically, 
we probably had a talent deficit with respect to most teams, certainly on paper. We want to keep it low event and, you know, increase variance as much as possible. So it might be that they're both, you know, behaving in a justifiable way, but it's hard for me to believe that Babcock is doing what he can to, or doing everything right to get to coax some defensive, you know, ability out of these players. I, it's hard for me to believe that they're, that they're this bad. Mm-hmm. Right? And maybe that's because it's the easy answer. It's always more comforting to blame the coach because you can replace the coach. You can't replace 20 players. But. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you do wonder about all sorts of things. Once you start speculating in terms of has the coach lost the room, to use that expression, I don't want to assume that. I'm not saying that I think that that's happened. But I'm saying you have a certain amount of time where you have a message as a coach and you have a period where your message is fresh, where things are changing and up in the air. And then you have a period where after you've been coaching for a time where you probably get a little familiar and a little stale, where the guys have heard your speeches and the guys have seen how you do things, where you've been kind of pounding the same drum in terms of systems for a long time now. Um if it feels like stasis, if it feels like nothing is changing, it is possible for even a good coach to just get stale, to just not have a whole lot new to say in terms of ability to get through to the players. And I don't know at what point you determine that has happened. I'm suspicious of anyone who says that like they really do that. And a lot of people have been quick to say, oh, he's lost the room. Um, I remember someone tweeted that actually in the uh, the Montreal game, uh, the infamous cat shit game, where the Leafs stormed back from a 3-0 deficit to win. Um, so obviously he hadn't lost the room completely because they went on and scored five goals. But I, I do wonder at some point, okay, what's the future here? If there isn't uh, an improvement, you know, sooner or later he is going to be dismissed as coach. Probably at the end of next season is the earliest I could see it happening. Um, I I don't know. I, I just, I find it hard to believe that Mike Babcock, for all his talent and all his pedigree, and I know Detroit at their height had, you know, Datsuk, who is absolutely bananas in every respect, and Lidstrom, but like, just from everything that he's done, from everything that he's emphasized in the teams that he has played, and for then this team to be still so iffy defensively, I still find myself believing that it is ultimately a personnel issue, and the personnel probably aren't going to change, so that's probably what underlies most of my despair that I've clearly been uh, ranting about this podcast. It's just I don't see how uh, a serious improvement is coming, except maybe these players will get better. And so far, they're not, you know? <laughs> so Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow, what a fun podcast this is turning out to be. Yeah, well, all I can say in my defense is, again, don't lose to the Ottawa fucking Senators, man. Like, it's not okay to lose to Ottawa. Um, but, yeah, you know, that said, big picture, they can score. That's uh, what it sort of comes down to for me, is at least they can score, and... There are worse things to be than a team that can score, flawed as it is. I just find myself thinking, well, you got to have players to really contend. But um, 
Yeah. You know, at this point, all we're hoping is that we, we kind of get the jump on Boston. And then a lot of stuff that goes on in that series is kind of tactical matching. And is this line shutting down that line? You know, have we managed to make the Bergeron line um, not fatal to us the way that it was last year? Yeah, the Hainsey-Zaitsev pairing uh, is going to do phenomenal. Oh, yeah. You know, I have such great fucking hopes for the Hainsey-Zaitsev pairing. Um, David Pashnak's <laughs> going to score 84 goals in that series. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, you know, <laughs> you're never as bad as it feels like you are, but this this is really, this feels disappointing. Um, the only thing I can say is that if Jake Gardner and Travis Dermott do get back, and we don't know that they will, as we're saying, this team starts to look a lot different, and it doesn't fix everything by any means. You know, we've had Gardner and Dermott in the past, and we were still... Not exactly, you know, the 95 Devils or anything. Yeah, we were still awful but, defensive, even with them back. Yeah, but I think with the two of them, we can at least lean in a little bit harder to being what we are, as we have, and be more successful at it. So we'll just, we would be a better version of ourselves. Um, I do, I honestly did not think that we would look quite this glaring without Jake Gardner. I realized we would miss him if he were away. I was thinking of next season when I expect him to be gone. But now I'm sort of like, uh, like, maybe we better extend that guy, <laughs> which is a really dangerous thing to do. You know, he's got back injuries. He's going into his 30s and he has his uh, his flaws for sure. And the Jake Muzzin trade is kind of supposed to make up for that. And Muzzin has been fine. But Muzzin's not but, as good as Gardner. Uh, I, I, I'm no, comfortable saying that. No, I, and I think a lot of us were kind of beguiled maybe by his Corsi and then... Uh, other groups of fans love, like, he's big and he's tough, and he comes from uh, a famous L.A. defensive team that, let's be honest, most people in the Eastern time zone don't watch ever, but we remember vaguely good things about them. But seeing him, he makes mistakes just to the same degree Gardner does. Every defenseman makes mistakes. That uh, That's fine. And, I, again, I'm, I'm pleased with him on the whole, but he's not going to push play for you the way that Gardner does. He just doesn't. He, that's not what he provides. He provides you a solid second-bearing defenseman. That's certainly better to have than to, to not have. But Gardner is like the ultimate flawed diamond in that respect, where he really can push play as long as you're not really saddling him down. He even improved Nikita Zaitsev, which is a thing that a lot of people struggle to do. Yeah, I think the Gardner-Zaitsev pairing was like at around... They were hovering like break-even, which is... Uh, uh, very good for Nikita Zaitsev. And actually, yeah. I think one of the most impressive things Riley has done is that he's taken a top pair of him and Nikita Zaitsev to, like, relative parity. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, they, they look to be rounding into form. Jake Gardner always has these kind of weird slow starts that he recovers from and he gets better and better as the year goes. But he was, you know, he really seemed like he was getting it together, notwithstanding that a bunch of fans booed him because they were mad. And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> That's, that's the ultimate, like, um, you know, saying, like, I don't need you and stuff like that. It turns out we do need Jake Gardner. <laughs> so as we were saying, if you really think that he doesn't contribute to this team, then this this week, these past few weeks, should have been a hell of a wake-up call. Um, I don't know if we want to talk about what Garrett Sparks said. Yeah, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, so Garrett Sparks gave a quote. Uh, I'm going off Mark Masters' version here. We need more emotion. I'm an emotional player. I need more emotion. We need more emotion from everybody. 
We need people to get angry. We need people to step up and be mad and take it personally. On the ice, off the ice, or both? Is This is Mark Masters asking. And Spark says, wherever. So, it's never easy to read into canned hockey quotes, which are usually like one of the, you know, 50 approved things that you're allowed to talk about in sort of interviews. But when a player chooses a particular cliche, uh, says, you know, we need to expect more from ourselves, we need more emotion to get angry, that seems like he's hinting at something. You know, that doesn't seem like an accidental choice. Now, Sparks is, by all accounts, an emotional player. Um, he's often kind of more hard on his sleeve than a lot of guys. But the fact that he's saying these things after that loss, I don't know if he means something by it in terms of the leadership group on this team. I don't know if he's saying certain guys are are checked out a little bit or they're just sort of playing out the string and they're resigned to, we're not going to get home ice against Boston, so let's just go. We're bored. Um, it's hard not to feel like he means something by it. I don't like to speculate too much, but that's nonetheless what we're going to do because it seems like it's pointed. What do you think? Yeah, I, it's hard to know to what extent this is just Sparks kind of... He seems like a guy who often needs to put his foot in his mouth. <laughs> just because he hasn't done it lately, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, it could just be like, you know... It's hard to read into these interviews, I think, because either they're completely boring or... I mean, in a lot of cases, like Sparks is just kind of had a pretty pretty rough night himself. He, he could be angry. He could, you know, be kind of annoyed, miffed at the fact that the team hung him out to try, which they did. And, like, if you're blaming Sparks for giving up six goals to the center, fine. But, like, let's not pretend the Leafs as a whole... Let's not pretend Sparks cost them that game. He did not. No. And, like, okay, sure, yeah, you're back... It'd be nice if your backup stole the win for you. Yeah, that'd be great. That doesn't really matter with respect to our concerns about the Leafs in the playoffs. Sparks isn't playing in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and if he has, we've given up, and things or things are going really, really badly. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, I frankly, I I don't care at, at Spar- about Sparks' performance the rest of the year. I could not care less. Yeah. Right. I, so I'm not I'm not concerned about that. But like his comments, I I I don't know how to read into them. Really, I I really really don't. Yeah. I. I... You know, a lot of it is frustration, I'm sure, at himself. I think he knows that this season hasn't gone quite the way he would have wanted. He's performed like a mediocre backup goalie. And I think in his own self-perception, he's an NHL goalie who is a, a starter who's going to threaten to be a starter, and that hasn't been happening for him. And I'm sure that he's he's feeling it. And I'm sure that he's also frustrated with, you know, he's only getting so many starts. But I do have to wonder if there's a bit of... Um, a bit of what we're feeling, almost. It's dangerous to project your own feelings as a fan onto the players, but I'm sure there's at least a sense of deja vu, you know? There was a period where this team was, like, almost... I mean, early they were contending for the President's Trophy before Tampa just ran away with the thing. But they had legitimate hopes of being the, the second-best team in the NHL, They of really taking a stride, and yet staring down the barrel now of it's going to be another match against Boston. 
we're kind of pissing away home ice advantage at this point. We're still only four points back of them, and we still have the regulation overtime wins. But four points back with with 10 to go is pretty tough. It is. Right, let's say Boston... Sorry, I'm cutting you off there, but if Boston, even if they do badly and go five and five, right? Mm -hmm. We need to go seven and three. Yeah, like it's probably not going to happen. But just because it's a race between two teams and we have the tiebreaker, it's not out of the question still. But, like, if you were going to do it, one of the things to do would be to clean up against, you know, bottom feeder teams like the Blackhawks and the Senators. Um, and, and so you do wonder if there's just a sense of, okay, it's going to be this again. Let's get to the playoffs um, and, and worry about it there. And right now there's maybe just a feeling of we're just going to kind of keep humming along. I don't know. It's always dangerous to to assume that, but certainly there's been some there's been a feeling for sure of this team is not really making great strides, is not really looking like a contender, and I wonder if a bit of that is sunk in even you know in and around the room. That that's probably speculating too far, but I, I don't know. I, I just do feel like the, it, something is being said there. I, I, I'm sure at least they're disappointed in how they've played the last few games. Yeah, I believes. mean, you know, Matthews, they know that they're not supposed to lose like this. Yeah, Matthews had some strong quotes about, you know, I think in the wake of the Chicago game. It's like, hey, like, this is unacceptable mm-hmm. what we're doing. Which would be great if he could also combine that with learning how to back check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, I feel like this podcast has almost been me just in like a cloud of like despair and regret and all this sort of thing. But what, yeah, the bottom line is they don't look like they've taken the big leap over last year that they should have. And John Tavares was supposed to be that leap. John Tavares has really held up his end of the bargain, but the rest of the team has not progressed in the way that we hoped that they would. And Right now, that releasing. Well, I, I think so. I think part of that was like, I think, and fans are always guilty of this: is that when they look at how the team will do next year, they assume that like implicitly everything that went right last year will still go right, and then the improvements that we made will be an addition on top of that, right? So, yeah, the things that went right for the Leafs last year, their power play was like one of the best in NHL recent NHL history, and people thought, mm-hmm. oh, with our stacked power play, it'll be just as good. Tyler Dello actually had a poll. Early on in the year, it's like, will the Leafs power play this year score more on a per, per minute basis than they did last year? And like, I think 70% of people voted yes. I voted no because there's only mm. so much better you can do, right? Smart odds are always on no. For a while, it looked like they would actually eclipse it when that power play had just an absurd start to the year. But it's come down mm-hmm. since, and that's one thing that went well last year that isn't going well this year. They've lost out on some goals that way. Uh, they lost out on some, some wins by losing in overtime as opposed to taking it to a shootout where it's a 50-50, right? Th- things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the, I think the Leafs are a better team this year. Certainly if you look at their 5v5 play, in aggregate, I think it's better, at least when restricted to the full lineup. But, yeah, it, th- that's definitely a huge part of kind of the general malaise around the fan base right now. Yeah. Ultimately, I think everyone is afraid that Boston is our kind of bete noir. Like, they can't really be beaten by this Leafs team is the feeling. I don't think that's true, to be clear. I think this team, 
flaws and all has a chance, as we've said. But there is a feeling that we wanted them to look dominant. We wanted them to look like a team that was going to take Boston's lunch. And some of that expresses in the desire to add toughness or whatever that people wanted, uh, you know, to add Furland or Simmons or something like that. Which, by the way, look at how Wayne Simmons is doing lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a desire for something to change to improve because I think everyone is pretty down about how the last couple of series against Boston ended. And so we wanted to see some proof that things were going to be different. Right now, it doesn't feel like it's there. And we know that it's not determinative. Even if you think Boston's like a way better team right now, the Leafs have a 40% shot minimum. Uh, and I think it's better than that. It's just, there doesn't seem to be anything to really hang your hat on in terms of this team is definitively way better than last year's. As we, as you said, I think they're a bit better. And certain things have not gone their way. But they... Yeah, they just look like a slightly improved version of the same team. So, yeah. Fun times. Yeah. This has been like the bleakest podcast we've ever done. <laughs> it's been the bleakest one for a while. Yeah, that that's undeniably true. Um, is there anything you wanted to discuss before we head out? Uh, no, I'm just going to sink into like a morass of despair now. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, on that note. Thank you for listening. You can find all of mine and Fulman stuff at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RBNATFulman. Uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>